0: Good morning, too, and welcome to Forest Hill Church, South Park Campus, one church in five locations, soon to be six, and we are continuing in our series on the kingdom of God on this Memorial Day weekend. We're glad that you came to church where we combine worship and cardio, so I'm glad you all got that. But uh, this is also Memorial Day weekend, and we recognize that it's an opportunity for us to remember and to express our gratitude for those who have given their lives to preserve the freedoms that you and I enjoy every single day. As a matter of fact, if you are here today and you had a loved one, family member, or a friend who actually gave their life um, in service to our country, I'd like to ask you to stand so we can recognize you and the loss that we've got. There we go. We've got got a couple people here. Anybody else? There we are. Folks, can can we acknowledge that with our applause? to thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. We dare not take that lightly. May I ask you to pray with me as we continue. Father, all across our nation, we take this time tomorrow on Memorial Day to indeed say thank you, to recognize that what we have did not come cheaply. And we pray for your comfort and for your peace for those left behind. Celebrate the sacrifice of these heroes men and women who serve to the ultimate for our country we pray your blessing we pray that even now as we listen to this message that lord we would focus on the one who also fought a battle and won it for us by giving his life but also rose from the dead that we may know the freedom under the reign of your authority in your kingdom we pray speak to us we ask in jesus name amen we're continuing the series on the kingdom of God, parables that Jesus told to help us to understand what it means, not so much the kingdom as a realm, but the kingdom as the reign of God in our lives. And he's using parables, which are divine principles and truths wrapped in human and earthly illustrations to convey that truth. And so our children's ministry, our kids' ministry, they did an incredible job helping us set up what this story is about. Would you please give them a hand again to our kids' ministry? Thank you. It's a well-done job. And so we're going to take a look at this particular parable that shows up in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. And Jesus is speaking to chief priests and elders. And so in honor of the reading of God's word, reverence, if you are able, may I ask you to stand as we take a look at this passage beginning at verse 28 of chapter 21 as Jesus is responding to the chief priests and elders. He says to them, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go into the vineyard and work today. And that son said, I will not go. But afterward, changed his mind and went. That man went to the second son, said the same. And that son said in response, I go, sir, but did not go. Then Jesus said, which of the two did the will of his father? Chief priests noticed they said, the first. Then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, The tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Got to give you the context, so here's the setup of the story. This is the last week of Jesus' life. It's probably one day or two days after he's already coming to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday in victory. It's the last week of his life. In a few days, he will offer his life as a sacrifice. And he's already also gone through the process of cleaning, cleansing the temple of all the commerce and the shenanigans that were keeping people from actually having the access to God that they deserve. And the chief priests and elders, the religious leaders, they've got a problem with Jesus. And so there is this encounter. There is this confrontation. And they basically are saying, Jesus, what's the basis of your authority for what? Why you do these things and where did you get this authority from who gave you this authority and Jesus says to them I'll tell you where I get my authority if you answer a question for me and he says the baptism of John was that from heaven or from men and the guys decide, okay, one moment, Jesus, and they go ahead and have their holy huddle with everybody else that's in the group, and they say, okay, what do you, what do you think? If we say that we think that it came, came from heaven, he'll say to us, then why didn't you believe? And if we say that it came from men, we fear the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So what's the answer? Got it. They go to Jesus and they say, we don't know. At that point, Jesus says, then neither will I tell you where I get my authority from. Why? Because it wouldn't make a bit of difference. But then Jesus launches into the first of three parables back to back to back that he'll tell them to convey that God has found disfavor with that group and that they are no longer fit to lead the people of God. He's about to do that in this parable of the two sons. The next parable will be the parable of the tenants, which David Chabrick, our senior pastor, preached several weeks ago. And then the third parable of the wedding feast, David will actually preach that next week. Again, to convey to these leaders, you're not fit to lead my people. So in this particular parable, he starts off with, what do you think? And that's kind of like a, a key initiation of, all right, thinking cap's on. Here we go. We're getting ready to rumble. Here's a conversation. Jesus says, a man had two sons. And he went to each of them and gave them the exact same request, and they had two different responses. The first son got the request said, and you can almost hear the disloyalty, hear the dishonor in this, in this son's tone. And he says, I ain't going on, man. I'm not going. And at this point, you know, you, you've, you've got your iPhone, in this you want to be able to capture, capture a picture, of these responses. So you're going to capture this on video on your iPhone. And as you, as you, hit, you hit record, and that son says, "I ain't going, old man. No loyalty, no honor." You're thinking to yourself, "Oh, this is a punk." This is a person in complete disrespect. In that particular day, you don't dishonor your father. The father asked a very simple request and you're refusing it. This boy needs to be spanked. This boy needs to be put in jail. This boy needs to be disinherited because he's treating his father with such... And you leave that place and you say, look at this guy. You're showing it to your friends. This guy is, is worthless. He's no good. He's a punk. The problem is that if you'd have left with that picture, you would not have left with the whole picture. Because Jesus said, that even though that was his first response, he went away and afterward, and the word there in the scripture is that he reconsidered his response with some degree of remorse, changed his mind, and actually fulfilled the Father's will. You have to delete that off your iPhone. The picture. He goes to the second son. The second son's response is differently. As a matter of fact, again, you're, you're ready. You hit record. And that son basically says, I go, sir. I go, sir, and you're like, oh, you start weeping. This is, a, this is an honorable son. This is a good boy. This is a wonderful boy. He could marry my daughter. And you take the phone and you, and you show your daughter, I think he's available. You might want to have, switch phone numbers, he, he's available. Because this kind of son, who would treat his father with such obvious honor, is worthy of that commendation. Rather than just taking a picture, maybe you take a selfie with the guy because he's such a good guy. You'd have left with only a part of the picture. Because that boy, later on, did not do what his father did. Be very careful on how we judge those first responses. In this particular story, Jesus is being very careful to clarify the differences of choices. And so after he tells the story, he says to the elders and the chief priests, he says, Which of the two did the will of his father? And if I was there, because you know, you know how Jesus rolls, right? When that, when, even as the story is going on, you're like, okay, I know where Jesus is going. So when he says, what do you think? Which of the two? I'm like, don't answer that question, guys, because he's setting you up. Because the answer is so easy. It's an open and shut case. It's very easy to find out who was the one that did the will of the Father, the first one. The guy that said, I won't go, and ended up doing it. And that's at this point where now we go to the, the surprise. David Chavik last week mentioned in the message about how he and Marilyn enjoy movies that had that, that kind of surprise twist ending. These boys didn't see it coming. I don't think they saw it coming because here's what Jesus says to them after they say, well, the first, he says, truly, I say to you, truly, amen, verily, I'm telling you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of God before you, ahead of you. You need to understand that when he said that, the kind of shock way that sent through their sensibilities, and here's why. these men have spent all their life and all their energy and all their effort memorizing the scripture backwards and forwards, meditating on its insights, making sure that their life was perfect and righteous and avoiding this and avoiding that, and fulfilling all the laws and traditions, everything of the commandments and the traditions that had been created, they did to the nth degree to the point to where because of their effort, because of all their time, they were being distinguished from the scum of the earth the regular sinners. These men were the separated ones, the special ones, the holy ones, and they could not even have conversational relationships with those who were obviously under God's judgment. And so when Jesus mentions tax collectors, tax collectors, they were considered as traitors to Israel. Why? Because they were working for Rome. They were profiteering off at the expense of their own people, charging more than they needed to and benefiting and profiting themselves in collusion with the Romans. They were traitors, low on the totem pole. And then prostitutes, obviously their immoral, unethical behavior was contaminating and perverting the purity of the marriage bed, as well as contaminating the the innocence of young people. People like that, prostitutes, their their end, they should be stoned. They're at the bottom wrong. And Jesus has the audacity, this no-name, unschooled carpenter preacher dude, following us around and basically telling us in our face that these scum of the earth people are being accepted into the kingdom of God ahead of us. It's a slap in the face. It's an insult to everything that they base their life on. And it doesn't get any better. Jesus says then, hey, let's talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came. Here was John's message. John's message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That word again means change your mind, change your direction, change your focus, change your heart. Because the kingdom of heaven is for those who make the change to do what God wants them to do. And John, at one particular point, Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, tells the same story. John saw these religious leaders. And here's the thing. When John was preaching, when John was preaching... There were people from different walks of life who had done all kinds of stuff, and they heard the message, and they came confessing their sins, agreeing with God about their condition, and they were being baptized, a symbol of cleansing and purification and being accepted by God. Scum of the earth sinners being accepted by Almighty God as honorary citizens. But the religious leaders, the, the, the religious he, they stood back, and they didn't come to participate. They came to spectate they came to watch. And John saw them and said to them, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, your outside efforts should agree with what's taking place on the inside. John knew that there was hypocrisy. These guys had PhDs, pretty holy dudes. They thought that they were in. They were nowhere near close. And John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance because you guys don't have it. You're clinging to your traditions. You're clinging to your laws. You're even clinging to the idea that because you're Abraham's descendants that you get in, no. God can raise sons of Abraham out of rocks. There's got to be a change. And so you know that John was probably not going to get any Hanukkah cards from those guys that year. He was not very popular because John was calling them out. And Jesus said, even when you saw what was happening, you saw the sinners entering into the kingdom of God, confessing their sins, which God loves when we're humble before him and they're being accepted by God. They believed John's message. And even after you saw what they were doing, you did not change your mind and accept the message either you understand that John was revered by so many people and even Jesus was giving commendations to John in Luke chapter 7 he says i tell you among those born of women none is greater than John yet the one who is least in the kingdom of god is even greater than he when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too they declared god just having themselves been baptized with the baptism of John but the pharisees And the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Standing in judgment over the grace and the mercy and the truth of God, they rejected it for themselves. So you know that we've got some serious kingdom citizenship issues going on in this story. And Jesus is the one that's raising the temperature and the reality of what's taking place. That these people who are professing something are practicing something very different. Here's what we, one of the things we learn. Our response to the word of God, to the message of God, our response really does reveal our respect for God. What's, what's what Jesus is trying to convey. Our response reveals our reverence, our true respect for God in respect to his, his word. We're supposed to When we hear his word, when we hear it preached or read it, that we're supposed to be open, our minds and hearts open to receive the the truth of his message. That's how we revere the word of God. It doesn't just bounce off our hearts, we take it into ourselves. We're supposed to also respond to the will of God. In other words, it's not simply important just to hear it, but to have an intention to do it. Jesus would over and over again warn of the danger of self-delusion and thinking that simply because you heard it, Simply because you came to a church service on a, on a weekend and you heard it, that's not good enough. It's got to go beyond simply just hearing. It's got to work itself out into action. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 7. He would say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew 12. Everyone, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is basically saying, true citizens of the kingdom, my family and friends... They operate in a kingdom rhythm of receiving the word, the will, the worth of God, and carrying it out in obedience about the worth of God. I love the fact that in the parable, Jesus says, which of the two did the will of the Father? He didn't say, which of the two got it done? Which of the two obeyed the rules? Which of the the two fulfilled their duty? He said, which of the two did the will of their Father? Here's what I want you to understand. What God wants us to understand is obedience to the commands of God is not about the rules. It's about the worth of God and the reverence of his authority in our life. It's not about getting it done. It's about living our lives under his authority in fellowship and communion with God. The commands are not simply just about get it done. The commands are about here's how you have communion and fellowship with God. The Pharisees, they couldn't see that. They missed all of those particular kinds of lessons because they spent so much time being focused on it rather than on him. And so there are other things that we can learn in this particular passage very quickly. Number one, that there's equal access to the kingdom. That Jesus basically in that parable said, whether you're a sinner or whether you're religious, everybody's got the same access to God. It's one of the reasons why we spend so much time and money in the Christian uh, ministry in missions, making sure that people all over the world have an opportunity of being able to receive and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, that the first immediate responses may not be the final one. Right? The first responses May not be the final one. It's one of the reasons why I believe that in as much as what we do here every single weekend is powerful and important. And it's critical. I don't know that, more, that it happens to be a transformational opportunity more than it is a catalytic. What do I mean by that? What we do here must still be walked out out there. And the power of our being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ has everything to do with how we carry out what we experience here. If we say we worship God, that should change the way that we live our life. That should change the way that we respond to the people that are around us. So be very careful of making judgments about people in their initial responses when we don't know the full story. Also, the practice of faith is more important than the profession of faith. The practice of faith is more important than the profession. We all agree with something like that, right? That it sure is is a whole lot easier to say what you believe than to live out what you say that you believe. And then finally, and here's a big one. The religious may be further away from the kingdom than those who are resistant. That those who are more familiar with the faith may be further away from the kingdom than those who are foreign to the faith and I think that that's where the Pharisees got stuck I mean they stood right in front of almighty God their goal was the kingdom of God and yet they were so far from it they stood in front of Jesus Christ God almighty on the earth in the flesh And they, because of the misinterpretations of the law, because of how they placed more emphasis on their man-made traditions and their self-reliance, they actually rejected the very God they pledged to honor. It gets even worse. Later on that week, these men, with great conviction, would call God to his face a liar and would do whatever they could to silence his influence and exterminate his existence from the planet to put him to death. How bad does it get when you look into the face of God who has expressed his will, and we basically treat him as if he is the wicked one? How dark must the human heart be to get to that point, where we treat God as something absolutely less than he is. Jesus Christ would have a conversation with a group of people in Luke chapter 14, a crowd of people who are following him, and they're enthusiastic. It's almost like a Rocky show. Rocky, Jesus. And and Jesus basically goes, whoa, chill. Y'all hang on a second. There are expectations of what it means to follow me. So before you get on this wagon train, understand there are expectations, there's a cost. Count the cost. And you get the idea that when he said this, it stopped people in their tracks because the kinds of of things that he said, they were expensive, they were not easy. And you get the idea that people were kind of thin and like, I'm not sure if I sign up for this. But then verse 1 of the very next chapter, it says, and the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him. Isn't it amazing? He makes, the, he makes the, the expectations. He sets the standards. And people who are just on for the ride, they start peeling off. But the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to him. But the Pharisees and the chief priests, elders, the leaders, they grumbled. And they said, you see, this man even eats with sinners. Absolutely. Jesus dines with honored guests. And honored guests are those who see him for who he is, accept him for who he is, and accept their place in the need of his grace and forgiveness no matter what. Jesus will always regard those kinds of people as honored guests and friends. But these men, resistant, standing on the outside, judging Christ's acceptance of those Desperate for the grace of God. These are the people that are on the inside, by the way. These people who are resistant, that are really resistant, are the religious who think that they're in. And so, for you and me today, listen to this passage from Hebrews chapter 3. For those of us that profess Christianity, here's what it says Verse 12 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So how about let's bring the two brothers into the room. As a matter of fact, I think the two brothers are already here. Here's a question. Which of the two brothers' lives reflects where you are right now? Which of the two sons' lives reflects where you are right now? For instance, if you're the first son, That first son represents, and here's a cast of characters. The man is God. The two sons, the first son, people who've rejected God's purpose. They want nothing to do with God. And the second son, people who are in, they're religious, but in a sense, they also are rejecting God. Are you the first one? Maybe you've been here, this is your first time, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and you have not yet placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. But you've heard it. And by the way, if that's you, Thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of this journey with us. I encourage you, please keep coming. But maybe, like the son in the story... You would admit, I, I, I've not followed Christ. I've not done what, he, what he's wanted. I, I've not given my life to Jesus. I have re- retained this position of opposition. There was a friend of mine that I was witnessing to over a period of time. And after a while, he finally said to me, you know, Jonathan, here's the truth. The bottom line is, I've bitten off the apple and I enjoy it too much. I'm not giving it up. I appreciate the honesty. But he basically said, I ain't going. Maybe that's you today maybe because of your commitment to pursue pleasure or power or prestige or whatever, that Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to him, is something you have not done yet. First son. But I would venture to say that for the majority of the people that come, we probably fit into the category of the second son. We're in. We professed our faith in Jesus Christ, got baptized whenever, got our name on the church roll. We're in a life group. We pray, have quiet times every single day, come every single weekend to worship. We sing songs like, I surrender all, and I have decided to follow Jesus. But when we leave those doors, following Jesus is the furthest thing from our minds. We pay God lip service. But we do not operate under his reign, under his authority. We do not walk with God during the week. As a matter of fact, can I get a little personal? Even right now, God has placed his finger on the pulse of the problem of how you are following or not following him. What's going on at work? how you're operating at work, in ways that either some know or nobody knows. But you're involved in some particular type of activity, something that's unethical, something that's not right, something that's cheating the company, or something that's cheating God of his place in your life. Maybe the way that you're working. Maybe you're not working with the kind of excellence that the company deserves. Maybe you're stealing either time, resources, what the case may be, but you're not operating at work in a way that would reflect you living your life under the authority of Christ, and you know it. You're not giving God your or the company your best. And right now, as I'm saying it to you, you know exactly what that area is, or maybe in your relationships, in your marriage in your family, relationships between parents and children, children to parents, husbands and wives. There's something going on there in that relationship that is destructive, that's unhealthy, that's abusive, that's unfaithful, that's disrespectful to the person you've committed your life to. And you know it. I didn't even really have to say it. It's been something that's been dogging your trail. You've been doing everything you can to ignore it, and here I am putting it out there and reminding you that God has his finger on the pulse of the problem in that relationship. Maybe you're not married, and there's a relationship that you're involved in that you should not be. Or something going on in the relationship that should not be. And you know it. But you have decided to kind of categorize this particular pattern of activity as something separate from what you do on the weekends or when you're with your life group. But you know in your heart of hearts. Even as you said, I go, sir, that you're living a life that says, I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I'm not doing it. Maybe the way that you're treating other people, how you speak about them behind their back when you're with other people. And it comes up with something else, pray for my friend, but it's really not prayer, it's gossip. You're shredding their character. And you're not giving that up because somehow you believe that you're somehow justified. Or maybe it's what's happening when you're in private. Whether it's before a a bottle, some particular substance, a computer screen, a TV screen, that you've opened your life to things that God has said to you, that does not reflect my will. And you know it. Got great news for you. I got great news for you because i think the passage helps us to understand a process of how we can both enter into the kingdom and experience the abundance of the reign of jesus in our life because that's really the big idea for us and the big idea for us today as we listen to this particular message is how we respond to the authority of the king determines how we experience his kingdom reign in our life here's the process for both sons right for both sons number 1 receive the message Receive the truth of God's word. Receive the truth of God's love for you into your life that desires to set you free. Open your mind. Open your heart. Say, okay, God, I want your best. I'm ready to receive the truth of your message. Receive that. That's number one. Number two, recognize your spiritual poverty. Recognize that when it comes to righteousness and the standard of God, you don't cut it. That you and I have fallen short of the glory and the standards of God. Admit before God, God, I agree with you. That's what confession is, by the way. Confession is, I agree with you about this situation in my life. It is wrong. It's not right. It's not you, and it's not me. I accept that. Recognize your spiritual inadequacy and your poverty. But number three, here's a big word. Here it is. Repent. Change your mind about that. Change your heart about that. Change your direction about that. As a matter of fact, when that first son went away and afterwards he changed his mind, the word there was he took the time to reconsider his response even with a little bit of remorse and then did the right thing. He was going in in one direction, thought about it, like, nah, that's not really where I want to go. That's not what I want to do. I want to honor. Turned around and went the opposite direction and did what the father wanted. Repentance is changing our way. Our mind, our heart, our focus, our direction, our allegiances, our authorities to go God's way. That was John's message. That's also Jesus' message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven requires an entrance, requires a change. But then number four, obedience. Obedience, with his, which is faith in action. In other words, don't just say you're going to do it. Do it. Whatever it is that God's got his finger on, whatever it is that God's inviting you to enter in, don't just talk about it. Don't just pray about it. Do it. Be obedient. Put into practice what you know to be the word of God. Because he wants nothing less than your freedom and your welfare. Do it. Carry it out. Follow through. Put into practice what you know to be what God has called you to do. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do in response, a way that you can actually put this into practice. Daniel Austin talked with you about the card earlier on. I would invite you that if you're here today and you say, you know, know, I'm like the first son. I've not really ever given my life to Jesus Christ, even though I've been coming to church, but I've never really surrendered to Jesus. Here's how you can know if you surrendered. I'm going to ask you some questions, and if you're here in the room today, I'm going to ask you to answer those questions in your heart of hearts, before you and God. Here are the questions. This is to those who have never given their life to Jesus Christ, and today might be the day. First question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh who came into the world? Do you believe that? Number two, do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you believe that according to the righteous standards of God that you fall short? You don't match up. You don't have it. That you are infinitely separated from God because of a holy righteousness that he is that you don't have and you know it. Do you admit that that's the case in your spiritual condition? Number three, do you believe, trust with all your heart that Jesus Christ came into the world to offer his perfect sinless life so that through that sacrifice, taking the debt that you should have paid, that he paid it for you so that if you accept that sacrifice, you receive the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the acceptance, the love, the mercy, the grace of God himself and that you can be made righteous simply by professing your faith in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, not just simply spiritually or figuratively, but actually physically and powerfully, and lives now, reigns as Lord over all and Lord over your life? Do you believe that, and is it your desire to say, yeah, I believe all that, and I want that in my life? Here's the thing. If you answered yes to those questions, you're in. If, if, yes, John, yes, 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 Lord, yes, you're in. then I'm going to invite you to take that card, fill out your name on it, information. And the very bottom of that, it says, I'm accepting Christ as Lord today for the first time. Check that box and then be prepared to turn that card in either to the spiritual leaders here at the front at the end of the service in those boxes that are on the wall as you exit or in the atrium to any members of our team in the information team, just to say, I am not going to hold on to this. I am registering my decision to move forward in obedience to receive what God has done and to enter his kingdom today for the first time. I encourage you to do it. For the second son, if you're here today and you're like, man, as you were talking, even though you didn't mention my particular issue, I know what it is. And I'm ready to be done with it because it's ruining my life. I have no peace with God. I'm not walking in righteousness, and I know it, and I'm tired of it. I'm ready to give it up. Then maybe on that card, or maybe on the the note card, if you would, I'd like for you to write out what that particular thing is that you know you need to give up or take on. To be very specific, what is that thing? Write it down. And then hold on to that card so that within the next 24 to 72 hours, you would actually do that thing to take care of it by the strength of God. And then after you've done it, throw the card away. A symbol that you have followed through and done what God's called you to do. Either son, an opportunity to be able to enter into and experience his kingdom means that we don't just hear it, but that we also do what we know by the strength of God. So here's my question to you. Which of the three sons will you follow? Which example of the three sons will you follow? I know what you're thinking. Jonathan, you are one fry short of a Happy Meal. Because there's, we only talk about two sons. Where's the third one? The first son Jesus told was the one who said, I won't go, and did. Not the best example, redeemable, not the best. The second son said, I will go, and didn't. Horrible example. The third son is the one telling the story. Because when the father came to that third son and said, son, will you go into the vineyard and work today into the world and offer your life as a sacrifice so that those who are far from me can come home? That third son said, I go, sir, and he did, (laughs) and he came, and he offered his life as a perfect sacrifice and fulfilled perfectly the will of God. Here's the thing. That third son, Jesus himself, he lived about 33 and a half years. That's about over a billion seconds. Over a billion seconds, and here's the wonderful thing. Out of all the seconds that Jesus lived, he never spent any one of those seconds doing anything other than the perfect will of God. Every one of those moments completely dedicated to the will of God. Here's why I say that to you do not leave this room saying to yourself, I'm going to do it. Don't, because you, you can't. I'm telling you right now, following God, you can't do that on your own. It is impossible to follow God in your own strength. You and I don't have it. I don't have it. As a matter of fact, there's sometimes I don't want it. The desire's not even there. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is both the example and the empowerer. He gives you the power to follow. So please, if you're going to do anything, first of all, rely on the power of Jesus Christ to do in you what you cannot by yourself. He wants that for you. Will you take his example and live under the reign of his kingdom for a God who can still do the impossible in your life? Would you join me in prayer?